Bread Isle, are you ready to rock? Dave's Killer Bread is the country's number one organic bread for a reason. Always delivering killer taste, killer texture, and killer nutrition. This isn't bread. This is bread amplified. Hey everybody, Patrick Connor, and welcome back to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Man, we're all about boxing history here, which means I am here with my dude Eris Pina, combi box operator and fight history fanatic for our purposes today. Eris, how's it going, man? It's going good, bro. You know, um, looking forward to the weekend. We got the Boxing Hall of Fame coming up. Um, a few other things happening, but we're here to talk some history, so I'm hyped about it. Let's do this. We're dude, we're always like, yeah, I mean, we're, we're pretty nerdy about this shit. Nerdy enough that talking history, talking fight history is like, you know, this is what, this is what we do for fun. This is how we get our jollies out. So we're sick. We acknowledge we're sick, but look, dude, uh, you know, the recent events, uh, as far as some recent fights, I think probably the main fight that happened recently, Neoya Inoue versus Nonito Donaire specifically had us thinking about what rematches are like when it comes to big fights and fights of the year and stuff like that. Yeah. And I mean, just in general, they live up or not, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they often don't live up to the first fight or the big fight, whichever the case may be. And we were talking about that the other day and thought about that. This would be a great topic for history show, dude. Totally. I mean, it's look, man, like when you have a major fight, like a fight of the year candidate or just like big fights, whatever it may be, um, because of a controversial ending, there always has to be a rematch. And usually with a major, major fight of the year, it's really hard to surpass the greatness of a first fight. So like if a trilogy, for example, there's always like a great first fight, kind of a slump in the second one. And then the third one, they like take it back and maybe it's not as great as the first one, but they bring it almost to that extent. You know what I mean? But yeah, there's in boxing, it's it's history, dude. The boxing world goes back God knows how long. And there's been a lot of memorable rematches, a lot of memorable trilogies, a lot of things, whether they've lived up or not. And that's what we're here to talk about. Yeah, it's it's literally this could be like a nine hour show, but we're not going to do that. It could, we're but gonna, we're not going to do that. We're condensing we're not, a little bit. Just some of that. my favorites. It's going to be a 12 hour show. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, we're not going to do that. We're going to condense it as much as as much yeah. as we can. But like, so let's let's kick it off with something good. What what would you say is like a, a big fight or fight of the year type of thing? Where okay, here's rematch. one that's always that's really crazy, right? Because it wasn't the fight of the year, but it ended up being the fight of the decade according to Ring Magazine, and that's wild to me. But you know, maybe they maybe you know I could I could picture Randy Gordon and Burt Sugar and probably Johnny Boss and a few other people in the Ring Magazine office flipping a coin, like flipping a quarter while drinking, you know, wild turkey or some shit. Um, (laughs) But like flipping a quarter to figure out what would be the fight of the year. And that was between Bazooka Lamone and um, Bobby Chacon, which I'm not talking about. And Aaron Pryor, Alexis Arguello. Man. Yeah. See, that's what I mean to segue into the rematch. Totally understandable. I mean, to to have to choose Dude, to choose between those two, I can totally. I I would have to flip a quarter. Like Lamon Chacon four is probably my favorite fight ever. Like, or close to it. One of well, it's one. It's, it's if right you're talking there. just straight action. 
Yeah. Like just, just pure action and not necessarily like not factoring in like greatness or any of that type of stuff. It's one of the top few fights ever in my opinion. Mm-hmm. No question. Totally. I mean, just especially if you know the backstory, everything going from the history, the way they fought. And then that last round when Jacon finally drops him, I mean, it's, you know, it's the chef's kiss. It, it's, you, you know, it's like tough that, to write that's about a story. Academy like Award winner, best pitcher by far. But that's that's a whole podcast on its own. Now I'm sure we'll talk about one day. Um, prior Arguello, that same year, dude. We've talked about this fight before. You know, what I mean, Alexis Arguello chasing greatness, um, trying to become a four division world champion. All everything going on. Aaron Pryor, the maniac, rampaging the junior welterweight who's always felt that everyone has been against him ever since he, um, the 76 uh, Olympic trials when he lost to Howard Davis. And he's been scrapping since then. He's been looking for respect. He's been looking for that mega fight. He hasn't been able to secure it. Arguello wants to challenge him. Every, you know, they're in Miami, like during the height of like the cocaine era, like everything just <laughs> hits at once, dude. It's, and they produced, right? We, they produced one of the best fights you could have ever seen, man. Like, HBO had a legendary night spider, but they just back and forth. Prior in his windmill style, Arguello in his precision, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That right hand Arguello hit him with that would have knocked out a fucking heavyweight. That Prior's head snapped back into the, you know, the lights. Prior comes back. You know, the controversy after it that we've discussed before with the black bottle and all these other things, yada, yada, yada. They had to have a rematch, right? So let me ask you this. Did it live it up to it? I mean, it it wasn't a bad fight. It just no, it wasn't. But like, it can't it, live up. It took a, it took a while. Like after that fight, there was a controversy that we did, that we talked about with the black bottle. You know, if you listen to the show, you clearly know what we're talking about. Um, Pryor had a lot of out of the ring issues going on at this point now. Like you know, the internet age obviously wasn't there, so we weren't privy to everything that he was doing, but. There was rumors that Pryor was definitely, you know, a man of the night. And there was a lot of stuff going on with him. We just weren't, no, we, we, at this point, no one knew the extent of how bad it was, right? But Arguello, too, well, you know, we didn't really know how much of a spent bullet he was. And he kind of was, you know, the Pryor fight was kind of his apex right there. You know, what we talked about before yeah, on prior yeah, shows, when yeah. you reach your ceiling, he kind of reached it with Pryor. And, you know, whether Pryor used, you know, uh, adding enhancements in that black bottle or whatever it was is, you know, up to debate. But um, Arguello had reached that ceiling. So when they had the rematch, obviously, you know, that even with all of the out-of-the-ring issues, Pryor just kind of dominated. Yeah, dude. Alexis Arguello had gone from featherweight and was a very good featherweight to, you know, an even better fighter at 130 pounds. And mm-hmm. wasn't it wasn't at lightweight quite long enough to make a mark like he did at 130, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But then moving to 140, it was like, all right, you know, he we've talked about this in other shows and how a, a fighter's frame might be able to carry them up weight divisions a little bit better. And it seemed as though a guy, you know, El Flaco Explosivo, the explosive thin man, he had that frame. He had a very wide so thin frame. Mm-hmm. like a almost like a Tommy Hearns like frame where Tommy totally. Hearns went from 
he was 135 pounds as an amateur and finished at cruiserweight. And, and I'm not saying he should have been at cruiserweight, but he, he actually looked okay at cruiserweight because how fucking big he was. But that point being that Alexis Arroyo kind of had that kind of frame where it was believable he could go up to 140 pounds. And he shook Aaron Pryor with a couple shots where, again, made it believable that he could do okay at 140 pounds. And yeah, the controversy sucks. Uh, I guess it is up for debate whether or not there was something in the bottle, but it seems pretty obvious that there was. Either way, it was an epic fight. And then in order to get back to that rematch, you know, how could you live up to that first fight? You just can't in terms of action. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to. And at that point, like you said, Alexis Arguello had already, he had it beaten out of him in the first fight. He gave everything he had in that fight. And then in the second fight, you could see like in even just the way the fight ended and Arguello did that kind of thing, like almost uh, slightly more pathetic than Zaragoza against Morales, but like, you know, almost uh, that kind of acknowledgement where he's just like, dude, I, it's so I, sad. He just really sat anything. there on his hands. He's yeah. Like, and he just sat there like that. nodding as he's counted out. Like, yeah, that, that's a zip. I don't have anything else. And here's the thing, man. Not only did Pryor not have any, you know, controversy going into that, like, I mean, like in terms of his cornerman would, Panama Lewis, who we should probably do a true crime story on that, don't you think? On that's, that, that's I mean, a- we can we could basically we should probably just do a Panama Lewis one and talk about the Costello and fucking everything you know, else he did. Yeah, we probably should do a Panama Lewis one. Let's, let's put that in our notes one day. Icky, icky oh. Yeah, yeah, very, very icky. But that's the type of people boxing the track sometimes. Anyways, um, for the rematch, Prior enlisted Emmanuel Stewart. From the Kronk's champ, you know, legendary Emmanuel Stewart, who at this point, you know, had made his bones with Tommy Hearns and Hilmer Kenty and a few others at this point, you know, at but never, you know, he he hadn't reached the you know the elite legendary status that he would later on in his career. And prior at this point had had a bunch of out of the ring issues. Um, the amount of sparring that he did had left him with chronic uh, migraines. He had a lot of stuff going on in terms of drugs and you know scuffles and stuff going on. But somehow he put on even, you know, he put on dominant performance and was able to stop him. Not to say that Arguello didn't have his moments. Like Arguello still was competitive in the fight, but Pryor was just, you know, the rampaging guy that he was. Dude, and not only that, man, like people, younger fans especially, when they talk about Pryor, they think of a guy that was just a whirlwind who just like overwhelmed you. If you really watch him, you know, I was, for instance, I was watching Pryor Arguello one yesterday. Um, last night because I couldn't sleep and um, it the way he fought bro like some you know he had levels to him you know what I mean like watch the Cervantes fight for instance Antonio Cervantes one of the greatest junior welterweight champions ever prior get prior comes out round one at like a windmill just trying to overwhelm him as best he can Cervantes is trying to counter off ropes Cervantes caught him with a clean right hand shot prior for a quick instant to his knee Round two, Pryor comes out and just starts this quick twitching boxing style that's so hard to read, but he's not like really overwhelming you, but he's still putting pressure on you, but he's boxing you instead. And his footwork is immaculate. You can't really read him on what he's doing. And it's so like that type of Pryor would be a nightmare against anybody in history. Like he was beautiful to watch at that point. It's yeah, not it really like just a swarming attack. You're right. No, yeah. no, man. He has so many layers to him. And that's what's me. And he did the same against Arguello, you know, like when he would come out there and the way he would bounce off his feet, jab, 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 and his head movement. And he would like, you know, his foot, like 
Jersey Joe Walcott type like footwork that he would be doing and the other stuff and then punching with his lead hand thrown up like you couldn't read him you know dude prior was something if he didn't really touch the drugs and didn't really do stuff like that which is impossible considering the way he grew up in his environment like everything that he had to come through from his background he had a really really tough background to come through and considering the 80s a guy like him who struggled to get to the top and you can almost compare him slightly to Leon Spinks, I guess, and Tim like getting everything at once and having coming from nothing and getting everything and just indulging in it. It's, it's tough not to do. Um, you know, he became a product of that. And it's unfortunate because look at his career. He still became a first ballot hall of famer and everything after everything he, he got through and what he didn't really like, like, I still feel like he had so much more to accomplish than what he did, and he accomplished so much, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? <clears throat> yeah, dude. He, uh, it feels like his career, he didn't have a super long career in terms of the amount of fights. Yeah. And in terms uh, of the, the amount of years, although he had some layoffs here and there, obviously, but he, it, it doesn't, it doesn't seem, it feels like we could have gotten more out of him. Totally. Yeah. Totally. But, like he, like he should have been there against like guys like Chavez or Camacho. He, he still would have been there. He would have been a little bit older, but if he had never got into vices and other things outside of the ring issues, that, that could have happened, you know? Yeah. Well, that's, that's the kind of like, you know, that's that conundrum when it comes to boxing is, you know, mm -hmm. the kind of the kind of people likely to get into it or obviously the kind of people who are going to have a real tough time getting out of it intact. So totally. Yeah. That's the that's that kind of. I miss Pryor though too, man. To say that at the least, he was just one of the genuinely nicest, coolest guys you could have meet. Well, and you're talking about the Hall of Fame week coming up. You know, he he would have been a a, a popular. Yeah, it was, was so tough to say that because Aaron Pryor, when I my early years up until mid two thousands, he would have been there. He was there every year, literally every year. Very accessible. Um, a friend of mine, a fellow CompuBox um, counter named Ben Chan, gave me uh, his his Aaron Pryor biography and asked me to sign it for him, and and I gave it to Pryor and Pryor was like, "Hey man, when I signed when he signed it, I'll never forget this too." He looked, he said, "Hey, thank you for reading my book. I hope you learned something from it. I hope you got something out of it." And he shook my hand. It wasn't even my book, but he just like was like touched that someone read his book, you know. That's awesome. Uh, Pryor was that dude. He got married at the Hall of Fame, bro. I was there. Lee That's Groves awesome. was there. A lot of people were there. Yeah. He got That's married awesome. on, during induction weekend at the on the stage, and we all and everybody was there to watch it. And that was beautiful, man. I can say I was, imagine as a little kid reading about Aaron Pryor for the first time and like reading about his fights and all that, and then one day being somehow at his wedding. It's <laughs> yeah, pretty wild shit, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Aaron Pryor's wedding. Yeah, cool. I mean, he, uh, needless to say, he didn't get a whole lot of rest in life, so hopefully he's resting well now. Um, he deserves he'll, it. He'll yeah. definitely be missed. But um, What do you got, my friend? So I was actually going to go a little bit more recent, I guess just because you know, I, I had the good fortune of being at the third fight, and it was one of the few series as far as kind of like fight of the year and big fight series where they got progressively better somehow. Okay. I mean, just how, I don't know. But the first Rafael Mar Marquez versus Estrell Vasquez fight was great. It was a really fun fight. 
you know, uh, if I remember correctly, it was like in the fifth or sixth round, Marquez busted Vasquez's nose, and it was just like in absolute shambles. And on top of that, Vasquez right, had, he had awful scar tissue around his eyes already. He had already he already had a propensity for cutting, et cetera, et cetera. He was in bad shape, wound up having to get stopped in the corner, I think it was. And then, you know, Marquez came out of that he fight. He had one of those Gennaro Hernandez against Oscar De La Hoya at no shatters. It was just, yeah, just bad, brutal. And so then they come back, though, and wage a rematch. And it looks at first like Marquez is going to repeat. And then Israel Vasquez is like, nah, I don't think so. Not today, buddy. And they go to war. And it's an absolute fucking all-out battle for, you know, a, a number of rounds until Rafa Marquez gets stopped. And then, and then the third fight winds up just being an absolute fucking slugfest for the ages, bro. Dude, I mean, that fight I, was incredible. I almost got my ass kicked at that fight because I was there live telling people, like, oh, how no. are you not standing up for this? Because these people were like... People were... So hold up, hold up, hold up. Let, 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 me, let me ask you a question. Wait up. So people were sitting down during that third fight, which is one of the best fights of that yes. It was and like, then you and then you challenged and then you calling them out for standing sitting down made them stand up and want but to I wasn't even being like rude I think I was just being like annoying more than anything but it was like the 11th round or something but that's what got them that's what got them hyped to fight uh, and I was just like and I was like you, what the fuck fight? are you guys doing sitting down bro like this is hilarious. nuts like how are you guys sitting right now and they were like turning around looking at me like they were gonna I was like I'm just saying this is awesome bro like be my friend in boxing help no, it was it was crazy, dude. The just being able to to be there for that was incredible. All three fights were really good. I don't know how they could have progressively gotten better. And I mean, well, I should that's say that's very rare. That's one of the tri- that's that's so rare. I know we're not even counting the fourth fights. That just doesn't even count, dude. Like, don't even get it out of here. We both did the hand move at the same time, exactly. Yeah, just get it. No, but the it's just an absolute incredible three fight series and how they could have gotten better from that first fight which was already really good it was just it it almost makes me excited and sad at the same time because they gave everything in those fights and totally ruined themselves and just did not get compensated what they should have I mean, and I, I know that's on like a whole series of people and everything, but damn, damn. And if you see like Rafa Marquez today and you know his eye issues and everything, it's just, it hits you. And, and you know, not, and again, this is not talking shit. This is me lamenting it. I saw a recent photo of Izzy Vasquez. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I was serious. I said, I asked Rafa Marquez. I meant Izzy Vasquez. That's what I meant. Yeah, Rafa Marquez has a lot of scar tissue. No, no, too, he's totally he seems fine. Okay. No, no, no. I meant yeah, Izzy, he seems I okay Vasquez. overall. That's the wrong name. Izzy Vasquez, that's what I meant. All but of man, his eye issues and everything, yeah. He looks awful. Like, I mean, he, he, look, totally. he looks good health-wise. No, he's good, but just like his eye issues. But his, his face doesn't even look like him. He should have um, never fought that last fight against uh, Marquez. But, dude... Oh, Izzy so Vasquez provide look at look look at the amount of wars he provided for us. He first came on the scene, I think yeah, his first he, fight oh on. Oh man, my guy Johnny Gonzalez almost got him. He came so close. Dude, his first fight I remember watching him was the rematch with Oscar Larios, which I think he lost, which was on ESPN two on a, on a Friday night fights. And that was an incredible fight in itself. But he ended up coming back in the third fight and he's blasting Larry on himself. But like you mentioned too, man, there's other fights than that. The Johnny Gonzalez fight 
which no one really brings up today because it's there was a lot of good fights there in that era and it kind of you know as fights tend to do it kind of got lost in the shuffle but that fight is incredible man johnny gonzalez was moving up in weight if i'm correct right yeah he went from 118 to 122 yes and, and yeah. he was shown, it was on a on a pay-per-view on the card i don't know what the main event was but um i don't remember what the main event was but um i'd have to look but that yeah, fight yeah, sold yeah. the show like johnny gonzalez dominated early dropped him a couple of times like izzy vasquez was a warrior bro came back and stopped him that was an awesome yeah, you, awesome fight you had to take him out of commission because yeah. he was he was the zombiest like <laughs> you had to take him out totally totally man it was, it was that was a great fight a very it's a closet classic you know alluding to lee groves is a book but like that's what that was man a very very good fight and then the the larios fights um and then you you bring it up to uh the fights that he had with rafael marquez you know marquez was a wrecking ball during that time you know what i mean he was there in the um he stopped tim austin's reign who was a long reigning bantamweight champion and then the way he was just bludgeoning through everybody else the, until he fought vasquez and like you said he broke vasquez's nose everything then that rematch but, but, dude, that, you know, the rematch, Vasquez came back, goes back and forth. You know, Vasquez ends up stopping him. That third fight, though, I watched it here. I had nothing to my name at that point. I was, um, I had just moved to New York. Um, was going through a lot of stuff at that point. And, like, you know, everybody is kind of struggling. I still, I still paying for cable at that point a little bit. And I had enough that I was able to pay for that fight. And I watched that. And I just, like, my mind was blown. I was not sure everybody else was watching it. That last round... That last round, like, you can't beat that shit, bro. That was, like, that culminated to everything. The fact that that fourth fight happened that you and I both said doesn't count because of how good that fight was in that third fight. Yeah, well, and I think also to finally get them paid right, too. Yes. And, yes. and I mean, I, I won't go into it. I'll just simply say that I was escorted out of the post-fight press conference for the third fight. From for yelling. Was it because Gary. of a person? Or was it because of a promoter that likes to wear um sweatsuits? And yeah, has the, I yelled at Gary Shaw. Yeah, yep. yeah, that's him. I I screamed at Gary Shaw. Well, well, I I asked a very insulting question, which I knew was insulting, and asked and asked it specifically to be insulting, like a real asshole, because because I was pissed. I was pissed for the exact same reasons that I was sad a moment ago. Because I could see what was happening and I could mm -hmm. see that these fighters, I felt they deserved a lot more. I felt that it should have been much bigger than it was. Mm -hmm. I felt like the promotion was really lacking, et cetera, et cetera. I won't go into the whole big story. Point is I wound up getting escorted out of the press conference and yeah, to some degree making an ass out of myself, but for good, at least in my head at the time intentions. And so I remember it very vividly for a number of reasons, that being one of them. But, and so that fourth fight was largely to get them paid right. They, I remember that was one of the big like promotional things for that fourth fight was they're finally getting paid a million dollars. And I just remember slapping my fucking head and just going like, so they had to kill each other three times. And now this guy is going to have to go get his face punched off to go. Come on, you guys. So that's what I was kind of just like, Ugh! I hated that shit. But the fights themselves and what they gave, you know, timeless shit, dude. Absolutely unforgettable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And good, good reference for that one. Like, I, because it was so like, um, I mean, it was years ago, but like, I have a lot of memories of that too, in terms of like where I was living out here and all this other stuff. Yeah, dude, you can't beat that. That third fight, 
And again, that was like another like Oscar award winner, like the last round, like Chacon Lamont for the way he laid Vasquez caught him and caught him in the ropes and everything. Dude, Vasquez was awesome, man. It was such good shit. Yeah. Really Great cool. Yeah, I, I met Vasquez. I met um, Marquez with his trainer at the time, Daniel Zaragoza. And that was, that was really cool at the Hall of Fame. I've always loved Zaragoza since I was a kid watching him and all that. So, yeah. Hell yeah. We've talked about it before fighters who do it and get it done with little power yeah man thumbs totally. up for me thumbs up from both of them yes sir um here's one for you a fight where the best pound for pound fighter in the world was actually struggling before he got disqualified in a fight that everyone was just like holy shit he looks human and then brought they out had- rj yes <laughs> and so because of that they had to have a rematch for that and everyone was really 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 <laughs> curious to see and they even had a Ring Magazine article um, where they thought that per- that person would, like, give that guy all hell in the world, all that. We're talking about Roy Jones, Montel Griffin. And we're not talking fight of the years over here, nothing like that. But, like, right. yeah, what? Yeah. you know what? If you watch that fight live on HBO, the first fight, Montel Griffin gave Roy Jones absolute fits. And the way he won it and everything happened about that, they had to have a rematch. And, of course, it was going to be on pay-per-view. You know, Eddie Futch, uh, Eddie Futch was in there training Montel Griffin. Eddie Futch, one of the all-time great trainers. Uh, absolutely. That was, in, in my opinion, that probably was his last, that was probably his last great performance. Gosh, he died in 2001. Well, I mean, well, he was, he was so, also in the corner of Johnny Tapio when Tapia beat Romero. But there were so many cooks in the corner yeah, that like, yeah, yeah. he was kind of like, you know, an afterthought in that, right? But his last one where his his whole knowledge, his whole worth, when you really saw what happened, was in that fight with Roy Jones. Yeah, I, I would agree. Yeah, because yeah. he only died a couple of years after that. Soon, so. Yeah, a few years after that. <clears throat> but like, you know, he, God, Eddie Futch, man, those old trainers, bro, I love them so much. Him, you know, Freddie Brown, Ray Arcel, uh, God, I'm missing so many. The, you know, the, there's so many you can mention, like Gil Clancy, Emil uh, yeah, Dundee, all those guys, yeah. All those guys, bro, man. Whitey Bimstein, like the old school trainers. And, you know, Eddie Futch, the person who always took care of himself and was just like, you know, an OG uh, that put himself there. He had a great game plan. And it was kind of similar to the one that he implied with Ken Norton against Muhammad Ali. Little tweaks here and there, but some more, you know, more similar than not. And it worked like a charm against Roy Jones. And it was him off enough to disqualify him. Totally. But we had to have a rematch for that. And you know what happened? Montel Griffin made some of the most bonehead decisions in boxing history. And that, yeah, that I remember actually uh, watching that first fight. And I remember thinking uh, very similar to like the Eric Harding fight that, that it was just a guy whose style, that counter punching style, like Roy didn't like it. Roy, um, you know, it's obviously easy to say in hindsight, but in hindsight, I think there were two things that Roy either didn't like or that kind of undid him. One was punchers, obviously, mm-hmm. but that for the most part, he either didn't let the punchers that he fight get going. So he destroyed them before they even got going. Yes. And so he never had to face it or he didn't fight them because there were a handful of punchers that he just never fought. And I mean, no fault. We ain't getting into that. I'm just saying, but you know, and then the other thing was that when fighters made him lead, 
you know, a counterpuncher, like by, you know, fighting another counterpuncher who's making them do the leading. A lot of fighters don't like that shit. And that's, that's something that we've actually seen from Tank Davis a handful of times where he doesn't really seem to like being made to, you know, made to, to make the fight. And mm -hmm. that's fairly common for a lot of counterpunchers. And so we saw Montel Griffin doing that shit where he's, you know, changing stances or doing that really yes. weird kind of crab walk like footwork like like norton used to do doing the kind of the shell covering up and shit like that that makes it really tough to find a hole in their defense <clears throat> if you're like a real pre precision puncher or use your hand speed like a muhammad ali or like a roy jones and so roy jones having serious trouble you know finding flush punches on montel griffin and he's getting punched back but it's like those little like you know pop 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 you know punches that they're not hurting him whatsoever but just pissing them off and, and so it was I, also tough yeah man the way the way he came at him so fudge had a similar like i said it was it was a similar style that he implied with norton ali but with some tweaks and if i remember correctly fudge said that like he had um even though griffin was short like you just alluded to, mm -hmm. like you just mentioned he still had him jabbing out of a semi-crouch like he had jones no one really jabbed Roy Jones, so he backed him up, backed him up, backed him up. Jones gets to the ropes. Unlike Ali, who used to lean back and try to like do things like that, Jones would stand straight up. You've seen that. We've all seen this. Jones stands straight up at the ropes. And so Fudge told him, you know, when he does that, like he kind of stood with Norton, jab at his body at that point. Start working on his body. Jones drops his hands there. Then that's when you come up and you start working on him. And that's how you get him on the ropes because he's still going to be straight up. He's going to try to do that type of stuff or try to counter off it, but he's not really using like leaning back or using head movement. And that's what, and, and it worked like a charm. You know, he jabbed with Jones who money people didn't try to jab with Jones and it was a brilliant strategy. And, and Roy is so dependent on like that rhythm. You yes. know what I mean? Like you totally. get him out of that rhythm and it, he just doesn't seem to do as well. And he was out of that rhythm, man. Fletch had it like down and like, not to say that it was like, a you know, Jones was getting routed or nothing. Like, it was still a close fight. Like, Jones was, you know, Jones was Superman. Like, his reflexes and everything he did was still make anything whatever. But, like, Griffin was giving him more problems than we any any of us had ever seen at that point. James Tony didn't give him these problems. Any of the other, you know, um, Bernard Hopkins in their first fight didn't give him these problems. Anyone else that he had fight in between this up until they had, no one had given these problems. You know, an old Mike McCallum, no one had... We had never seen Roy Jones under duress at this point. And Montel Griffin was making him like, you know, think was making him struggle a little bit. And here's the thing, man. Like it was getting a little bit closer. It looked like that Roy was finally figuring him out, but he was still struggling. It was like, you know, a relatively close fight that Roy looked like he was pulling ahead, but he was annoyed with it. And when he finally dropped Griffin, that's when, you know, he, he caught him with that right hand. And people think that Griffin might have been spot, you know, might have been like acting a little bit. Not nah, if you watch closely, Roy threw like a, a full on effect, was just a few inches and hit him straight on. Did Griffin might have made a face? Yeah, that face looked a little bit exaggerated, but like he got straight up walloped. Yeah, he well, and on top of that, it was two like he he went yeah. pop, pop, like in the pop, first pop, one was pop, like pop, a yeah. the first one was almost like a little jab, but then he just went bink. I mean. Yeah. I think yeah. that Montel Griffin probably played it up. No, but, he did a little bit, yeah. But that it hit him, and that it, well, well, whatever. It doesn't really matter that much. But that's because... what it led to the rematch. Everyone was just like, man, you know, like I said, Steve Farhood, the great Steve Farhood, wrote an article, and I agreed with it back then, and I think everyone else did, that, like, 
Montel would probably give Roy every time they, you know, issues every time they. A lot fought. of people thought that they just thought yeah. that it was like you know Montel might have his number. But you know, you know, um, they make the rematch. It's going to be held in um, Foxwoods, I think, in Uncasville, or we can send one of those casinos out there in Connecticut. And people are really excited. Like this is this is a big rematch. So what happened, my friend? <laughs> RJ came out. That's one of the most hilarious things, dude, is that Roy was like leading up to in the whole promotion, like leading up to <clears throat> leading up to the rematch. Roy was just like, you know, I don't even care. Like, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> I don't have anything to say. I'm just going to yeah. say that, you know, yeah, fuck him. I'm going to fuck him up, you know, stuff like that. And that he kept saying that, like, you know, I'm he's just going to see, you know, he's going to have to see he's going to bring out bring out RJ. And that, uh, you know, before you saw Roy Jones. <clears throat> Now I'm gonna have to bring out RJ and people are like, you know, who is this guy? This guy's a fucking. Oh, he's because he also used to talk in the third person, like you know, like any eccentric athlete apparently has to do, like, you know, <laughs> y'all ain't even seen Roy Jonesy, you know, stuff like that. And so Montel Griffith, man, you just should have, you should have just kept your mouth shut and tried to like, you should just kept your mouth shut and tried to, I guess, box Not him like again. Not like fired Eddie Fletch and other, you know, and your other people. Basically made the bonehead like have have the success and then switch corners move that fighters occasionally do. <sighs> Man, I don't know what I don't know if that would have made any difference. I says so who knows if it was just Roy Jones honestly being pissed off enough to say fuck it and not really care because Montel Griffin wasn't even gonna hurt or he, uh, Montel Griffin wasn't gonna hurt him wasn't gonna knock him out wasn't going to do anything like that so maybe he just said fuck it and said you know i'm knocking this cat out you know why box him who knows if it was actually uh hijack in his corner who knows but roy jones caught him with that kind of like leaping hook slash uppercut and caught him to the point where griff's head just went straight back like that and i just for whatever reason what sticks in my head is the little leg flip like his legs went and he keeps trying to get up and his leg, his foot is malfunctioning. <laughs> Man. Yeah. He got, he destroyed. also had, the, if you remember the first knockdown he caught, he had that, um, he had that Curtis Stevens face that happened years later where uh, like if Twitter was around back then, that would have been a meme too. When you got hit with that first left hook and he was like, yeah, he goes, Oh damn. Or something like that. Yeah. You could just see, he was just like, what the hell just hit me. And um, yeah, that was RJ. Well, you know what's what's uh, funny is that, believe it or not, as a I think it was at 170 pounds, whatever light heavyweight was at amateur in the amateurs in the early 90s, I don't remember, but at light heavyweight, Montel Griffin beat a whole bunch of fighters in the amateurs. John Ruiz, he beat John, John Ruiz, I think a few times. He beat Jeremy Williams. He beat uh, Terry McGroom. Remember that guy? Yeah, of he course. Beat- Dude, he beat a whole bunch of very recognizable fighters who went on to become heavyweights and shit like that. He was a tricky dude. But no, he was a really good fighter, man. If you watch back on the night. 20 fights where both our the consensus was back then, they were really, really controversial. Think about this. Montel Griffin had less than 20 fights before when he fought James Tony the first time. And he and he beat him. You know, like that was really, really impressive. Like Tony was just come off the Roy Jones fight. And that was like Griffin was like his, you know. Griffin being an Olympian and all that, like, dude, he was a very good fighter, man. You know, he lasted a little bit longer than probably he should have, and, you know, being his size and everything like that. But, like, he was a very tricky fighter, very good fighter. 
yeah, he was not an easy guy to fight. Not an easy guy wow. to look good against. Kind of almost like a, uh, well, a more skilled like John Brown, you know? Yeah. And, and like he had ass. Eddie Fletch in his corner. He had the venerable Bell Torrance in his corner. Like, you know, he had a lot of very, very veteran trainers out there. Like they give him the best advice to what he had to do. Yeah. I respect the shit out of him. Yeah. A serious pain in the ass. So. Well, that's the way how we hype. Absolutely. So uh, <laughs> what's next, my friend? Uh, all right, dude. So I'm actually going to go back a number of years and just kind of, I guess, talking about both fight of the year, but also a case where the rematch definitely did not live up to the first fight whatsoever. We're talking about the night that Rocky Marciano won the heavyweight title against Oof. Jersey Joe Walcott, and then yeah. the follow-up to that. So, I mean, Rocky Marciano was pretty easy to... <clears throat> it's it's pretty easy to see why with his fighting style, he would be in a fight of the year caliber fight. Uh, a guy who's like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, built like a brick shit house and just throws almost nothing but haymakers and, mm -hmm. and obviously a very heavy puncher. It makes for good TV, makes for a good fan experience. Watching to see him slump some fools is pretty rough. Uh, so you could see- Hey man, it's from Massachusetts, bro. There's some people out there still that you can't talk bad about the Rockles and still try to punch you. Totally, dude. Either Marciano or Hagler, even though Hagler is not technically from, it's just like you can't. Now we, yeah, no, Hagler's one of us. Yeah, we, we take Hagler as a. We, we, he's been adopted. We, we, yeah, yes. He's been adopted years ago, way before I was born. Yeah. Just how Jose Napoles was adopted by Mexico. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Hagler's one of us. Yeah, he's a yeah. new winger. Totally. Hagler was adopted by Mass for sure. But, you know, uh, you could see why Rocky Marciano would be exciting, why he's, you know, uh, an easy fighter to watch and all that type of stuff. But he was obviously vulnerable too. And we saw that, uh, well, they saw that against Jersey Joe Walcott for the first chunk of that fight. And they'd already seen it before too, with Rocky Marciano struggling against a number of fighters. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, who was it? Um, Tiger Ted Laurie. Who um, went the distance with twice. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, many people yeah. were suspected that he would be vulnerable he, against he fighters. He was crude. Marciano was a very, very, very crude fighter. Who um the, the venerable Charlie Goldman, who was a longtime fighter himself and a great trainer, um, around the same era as Ray Arcel and Freddie Brown and Whitey Bemstein and all those other trainers from that era, like you know, um trained Marty Servo. Yeah, he, he had yeah, a Marty Servo, yeah, all those guys. Lou Ambers, yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. like he he had a lot, you know, he he the way he transformed Marciano into being an absolute just brute into like giving him some sort of footwork and like incorporating a saddle into him, but not like completely transition um transition transitioning him into the you know into like an out and out anything like keeping elements of what he was as a crew brawler, but just like adding layers to him was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. And Marciano just, you know, to himself being extremely tough, durable, hard punch, everything, just winning combination. Offensively, he he is probably underrated yeah. just because, in my opinion, and, and I know that, you know, that's going to get pushback from people if they're trying to talk about skill and boxing and stuff like that. But like a Maidana type of guy, some people see that and they're going like, you know, there's no skill in that. I see that and I see a lot of skill, actually. No, Maidana was very skilled. Yeah, inside, he knew exactly what he was doing. Defensively, he clearly was not that skilled. 
he was not very interested in uh, in picking up a lot of new things or whatever like that. I, it didn't seem like it anyway. And that but he, he was crafty in his own way. Like he sure he that, got yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. He he, he was not unskilled. Was it was just yeah. not in the classical sense. Totally. Totally. And so totally. he looked vulnerable. He looked yeah. as though somebody could you know somebody could do X Y or Z with him. And Jersey Joe Walcott was the exact kind of fighter that you would think could, because that was what he was all about. He was very skilled. And when he wanted, he could pull out a nasty punch, just like in that absolutely picture perfect uh, hooker cut knockout that he knocked out Ezra Charles with, which was just beautiful, just beautiful. Uh, Did that walk away and then the boop. That was Jersey Joe Walcott. And he showed it against Rocky Marciano in the first maybe seven or eight rounds of that fight where he was walking he Marciano around the ring. Man. Dude, like Walcott's a beautiful thing to watch. Like I love when people make like compilate like videos of um, various clips of him and they put like some cool ass like jazz music or something to it because he matches so well with it. The way he would like shift his body, do the little shimmy. Yeah, like, like he didn't yeah. he didn't you do like the regular footwork sometimes, but he'd just do this little like walk thing. And it was exactly. like, what the fuck are you doing? Exactly, you know. And um sorry, I'm just trying to bring up a, um an article over here, which I'm gonna allude to in a second. But um like the way he would such a fucking boxing nerd that it's like you could just bring up a random fighter. And you just grab a magazine from the table and go, yeah, I was just reading about him right here, actually. Literally, I have a book literally right <laughs> next to me to bring this up. It's insane. Yeah. <laughs> How bad is that? Yeah, this was not planned. This was not planned at all. No, 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 no. It literally wasn't. You brought this up and I had this book right next to me and I'm trying to bring it up now. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So when you brought up the rematch, like Marciano Walcott, it ended in 13 rounds, but like Walcott even though he was past it, like he was older and everything, like he put on a clinic in that fight. You know, he dropped Marciano early. He beat the shit out of Marciano most of the fight, but Marciano being an uh, unhuman and being able to like, you know, take um, monster, like massive punches the way he was, was, um, you know, he, he just was able to, to take that shit. Right. So like, I just, and then, you know, that, that last round knockout, like that's the mo- one of the most famous punches in boxing history. Where you see Martin, you see Walcott's face looking like a fighter from the 1800s. How they like illustrated it with a mouth gape open and the tongue hanging out like yeah. that, and you see Marshall hitting him like it's, yeah, yeah. He looks like the fucking scream mask, bro. It's Dude. just so totally, it's, it's totally. awful, and it's just an an absolutely brutal knockout because it's like the perfect confluence of Rocky on Rocky Marciano's fist. Yeah. And and Jersey Joe Walcott moving into it because he thought he could counter him right at that time. Exactly. And just exactly. caught the wrong end of it, man. Oh, it's one of the most brutal knockouts in history. So since we brought this up, and this is hilarious, I can show you this right here and then bring up a story. Uh, Freddie Pacheco's book from years ago, The 12 Greatest Rounds of Boxing, The Untold Stories. You know, whether you think Freddie Pacheco is a great commentator or not, as a kid, I really enjoyed him. As an adult, I've realized that he, meh. Kind of annoying, uh, yeah. Yeah, but can't deny that he had tons and tons of stories and is a legend in totally. the sport of boxing. Absolutely. You can't, you can't take that away from him. So one of the only, you know, one of the 12 greatest rounds of boxing in his untold stories is about the rematch between Jersey Joe Walcott and Rocky Marciano. 
And since I literally had this right next to me as you brought this up and I didn't even know you did, I thought I should share this because it's awesome. So he's going to, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just read it to you really quick. It's a little, it's not really that long-winded, but a little bit. An untold story. The great fight called for a main match. He's talking about Marciano Walcott. Every boxing fan clamored for it, but none more desperately than I did. I had a huge personal stake in a Rocky Marciano Jersey Joe Walcott rematch. I had enlisted in the Air Force after spending eight years in college and earning a couple of degrees, including one in the profession of pharmacy. This, I thought, should entitle me to a commission. Instead, the Air Force handed me two stripes, denoting the rank of airman, second class. To get that commission, my only alternative was officer candidate school, for which I qualified in the spring of 1953. The first three months of OCS was sheer hell. The object being to weed out the weaklings and other, uh, otherwise unfair. Part of the intense physical hardship and hazing that the cadets underwent was a rule prohibiting them from smoking, drinking anything about water, and eating only candy bars. None of that bothered me since I did not smoke, drink Cokes, or like candy. We had a flight officer who was a sports nut. I quickly made a deal with him. If our unit won the championships in an upcoming OCS competition, he would allow us total privacy and lift the ban on smokes and drinks. So, we, the, so that we can watch on television the May 15th, 1953 Marciano Walcott return match for the heavyweight title to be held in Chicago. I use this motivation to whip our teams into a kamikaze like frenzy for the purpose of winning our championships. After all, I reason Marciano Walcott had fought 13 rounds in their first encounter. This time they would probably go the full 15. Translating that long about into minutes and adding the time for pre-fight and post-fight TV coverage meant that we could have at least an hour and a half to smoke, drink Cokes, and eat Hershey bars in an air-conditioned recreation room. <laughs> After what we'd been going through, no oasis in the Sahara ever seemed as inviting. We indeed won our championships. Cashing out on the deal I had struck, we are allowed to don our comfortable fatigues and slouch around the TV set, smoking, drinking cold Cokes, and munching on Hershey bars. Of the many millions of Americans who screamed in outrage when Jersey Joe Walcott pitched forward from a perfect right-hand punch after only two minutes and 25 seconds of the first round had expired, none yelled as loudly as the cadets of the Charlie Flight Class 53C. Right! Back in Class A, formation in front in five minutes and clean up this mess. Move it, move it, move it, barked our flight officer. All of a sudden, the upperclassmen swarmed among us like predators in, of a, on their prey. Many in my class refused to talk to me for a month after the fight. I can't say I blamed them. It was my introduction to the foolishness of trying to predict the outcome of boxing events. Who would guess that? Years later, I would make a handsome living doing exactly that. <laughs> Bro, how many of us have not experienced? We've gotten a bunch of friends together for some fight, and we're like, "Bro, this is gonna some fucking some violence. This shit's gonna be so fucking good." And then it fucking comes up, and it's the biggest bullshit, and they're so pissed at you, and you're just like, "Bro, it's usually good." I swear. Not at that level, though, man. I can't imagine being in the army and convincing all of my people in my class to to say, "Hey, man, we're gonna have an hour to smoke and drink and do whatever the fuck we want during a fight, and it lasts only a minute." <laughs> yeah that would suck I, you know what i'm shocked freddie pacheco was able to fucking commentate showtime and nbc and every other network shows back in the later on become ali's position 
because if I was there during that thing, I would have made sure I would have taken his ass out. Yeah, we beaten his ass with a sock. <laughs> I would have the like daylights. Yeah, out put a fucking bar of soap and a pillow. You like, pushed wow. me everything I could have done, everything I've like all this stuff. I finally get a break, and you tell me this break lasts a minute because Bastard. of this. Ah, Do you know man. how much cocaine I could have done in an hour? We throw ah. hands. We're throwing hands right here. We're throwing hands. Absolutely, <laughs> dude. You know. <clears throat> I rem- I actually remember I can't remember what program it was on, but I think it was one of those H- old HBO shows. I'd have to look, but they did uh, you know a whole little analysis of this fight and the ending and stuff like that in one of those old programs because it was considered controversial at the time because they were like you know uh, there's the first fight where Walcott is doing fairly well throughout the throughout much of the fight and then starts to kind of fade and visibly gets tired and then just absolutely gets obliterated but then in the first fight which almost you know never really seems to get going and seems to be taking a similar trajectory as the first fight as the first fight in that first round of the rematch and then marciano just blasts him with this kind of awkward like right hand kind of shovel shovel punch type thing mm-hmm. and catches walcott just perfectly on the chin and like just it's like you know he's moving backwards but it's just in a way so it's like just his jog it's caught they both throw at the same time and marciano's just got there first it was like a six inch punch that just obliterated Walcott's face. and he flies back onto his back and his legs are up and shit but then he gets up and it looks like he's okay. Like he Oh, looks no, like, I'm sorry. I, I was actually referencing the first fight, but no, totally. I know what you're talking about now. Yeah, yeah like it, in the rematch, okay. it yeah. looks like he's okay. Like that the punch lands perfect, but it looks like okay. Like he's gonna get up from this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it looks like he's about to brace himself on the rope. And is when he goes to when he goes to get up, it's like he stops and then he re- reaches 10. And it's like, and then he gets up and he's just like, What? Yeah. Totally. And it's like, oh, bro no no you missed it you know like we've seen we've seen uh dude i remember muhammad abdulayev remember that fool he i I don't know if you remember this this is kind of a deep cut here i'm sorry but i remember (laughs) against fucking um uh claudia emmanuel claudia emmanuel claudia hey that must be a deep cut for me he got yeah well yeah for for you it's not (laughs) for the average so he he wound up getting knocked down and I remember he's sitting there looking right at the ref and the ref's going like eight. Yes. Yeah, nine. Yeah, 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 and he's totally. going. And he's like looking right at him and he counts to 10 and then he hops up and then he's going, what? And I was remember thinking at the time, oh, bro, like, I, I don't know if this was a translation thing or what. I don't know if you like, you know, your brain gets fried. Like I've been knocked silly a couple of times. I can't Aaron Pryor kind of did that against Bobby Joe Young in his only Yeah. Life. He yeah, got yeah. With the right hand, he gets it's up, happened a bunch of back times. down to his knee, crossed himself, and then like he let himself get counted out. But that's the thing. I, I don't know if fighters forget if you go back down on if you get up and go back down on the knee, like I mean, dude, I've been I've that. been knocked silly before, and I can yeah. I can honestly say that in that condition, if there was somebody going in my face, I'd be like, What in the fuck are you doing? Like, you know, totally, totally. Huh? like yeah. it's it's alarming. But I guess that's the whole point about being a pro fighter is that you're supposed to be conditioned to know what to do in that situation. But still, mm-hmm. it was strange. And so Jersey Joel Walcott is like, you know, he hops up and he's like, where are we? I don't know what's going on. You know, why did you count me out? And then starts complaining that the count was uh, quick. 
and they did a post-fight interview and all the sort, sorts of stuff. But then uh, in the magazines and in the articles, people were talking about how it was controversial and that the count was quick. Other people were talking about how he had deliberately took the count you know, like, like it was fixed basically yeah, type yeah, of thing. Yeah, totally. And on top of that, the associations with Rocky Marciano, regardless of how strong they may or may not have been to the mob, uh, you know, the fact that he's an Italian American probably scared some people. And on top of that, the streets of Boston and around Boston were a kind of scary place when it came to mob and mafia shit around this time. Shout out yes, to uh, Don Stradley, who wrote a book specifically about this for Hamilcar. But in any mm-hmm. case, uh, yeah, dude, I think a lot of people were skeptical. But if you watch it, that you punch landed perfectly during that time. I'll just say that. Scary shit, but and it's understandable that people would think that. But it was anyway. no, no. I mean, like it looked it, and especially if you know Walcott's background too, with his management that was known that was like mob tied as well. Like it was, it was a lot of. It was a funky time. It. Yeah, totally. So yeah, that was that's my offering. Is that you know that rematch definitely did not live up to the first fight. <laughs> no, totally not. Um. Well, another one too that like took a few years, uh, a couple of years that it took too long to make chavez taylor you know that's a good one yep that's a good one too that and is actually chavez taylor one. we've talked about it everybody has listened to the show and everybody that knows like it's one of the most heartbreaking fights in boxing history because like if you really think of it in that regard like melger taylor he took so much punishment that like regardless of what anything he would have ended up the way he did his career did because like you know he was shocked by that fight, but he deserved that victory. There was two seconds left. Richard Shields should have probably seen that, right? You know, that light flashing above him. The way that, you know, it's a championship fight. That was the first time he got knocked out. All this other stuff. Like, he, uh, there's a lot of circumstances. But, you know, by the time that rematch happened and everything that, like, went through with it, it, it probably it just it, it didn't need to happen. It really, really didn't need to happen. And Taylor at that point was completely shocked. You know what I mean? But he still made a competitive. We talked about that not that long ago. I don't remember the show, but the legendary nights, it's such a vivid clip where they do the like, you know, before the pre-fight and then the fast forward 10 years later interview. It's just like, oh, or if you watch Melcher Taylor against Terry Norris and they interview both fighters before the fight and then you listen to both fighters today. And I love both of them immensely. Like Mel Terry Norris is one of my all time. Right. This is fighters. not us like making fun. Whatsoever. No, 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 no. It's, it's just sad to hear. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, man. I that's actually a really good call too. Um, the the first fight so tremendous as far as like that build and momentum that finally, you know, they're poetically and when when people write about fights and stuff like that and they talk about yeah. like, the art and fights and things often we get these kinds of fights and that kind of build up and there's never a payoff. There's never like a big release, you know, like there's never is that, that 12th round knockdown or knockout. It's just, it's just goes to a decision and there's nothing wrong with that, but that fight and the way that everything built up and like the tension and where you're just sitting there biting your nails, like where you're like, can Melder Taylor get through? (laughs) Can he just make it to the, to the bell? Like, is he going to, and you could see Chavez coming on chomping at the bit, just kind of saying, fuck this and coming after him and then finally catching up. And it's just like, Holy shit. You know, it's, there are few things better than that. I know whether you're a Taylor fan or a Chavez fan, just that like release of fucking hormones is crazy. 
and so that first fight you know was so huge and so controversial even now dude like you know i talk about shit i post on the history page but it's relevant because i feel it's a good gauge as far as fan reaction and shit like that every single time there's like a war in the comments and in the replies there's there's like fucking people are gonna get shot and stabbed i have to measure myself as far as how often i talk about it because people are people get heated even now they don't agree so, I mean, they were the two best fighters in the world in 1990, all right? Like, 1A and 1B. You had the matchup. You had the fight. Like, um, dude, and it was a brilliant fight. Taylor, for all of his flurries, and then, you know, you see Chavez coming back in his little ways, but Taylor was still ahead. And then a little bit after halfway point, you see Taylor's face all swollen and bloody, and you're just like, wait, wait, what the fuck happened? Yeah, how did this even – yeah, yeah. he was doing all right. What happened? Like, because – there's like certain things, man. You see it like Chavez would land boom, 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 and like land a big right hand. And then Taylor immediately afterwards would like, and like it would get all the announcers, including Sugar Ray Leonard, just like all hyped up. You see him like throw a flurry to the body and just come back with a fucking hook in the right hand that would snap Chavez's head completely back. And everyone's like, oh my God, those were beautiful flurries. And they were beautiful flurries. But Taylor fought too much like a Philadelphia fighter in that fight. You know, if you listen, if you listen to the commentary of George Benton, not so much Lou Duva, who I, I respect, but like was more of a hype man in that in that team, um, on that team. You you listen to George Benton. Yeah, you could always count on Lou Duva to throw down in a fight if the referee was fucking up. Oh, totally. And like, you know, Lou would like always like get you really, really excited and hyped up and all that. But George Benton was the one that gave you the instructions. And George Benton told Taylor over and over, he's pushing you too fast. He's pushing you. He's pushing you too fast. You need to settle down, settle down, relax, settle down. He's pushing you too hard because it was the pressure that Chavez was pushing, it was putting on him, was pushing, was making Taylor just throw these fucking 10, 12, 15 punch flurries. And he was faster than Chavez. He was quicker to the trigger than than Chavez flowers. Chavez. And like, you know, he was landing and you saw this fight. He, he, he's clearly winning, but like Chavez is pushing him, pushing him and, you know, Benting being a former fighter and knowing what's going on. He's telling him, Hey man, he's pushing this pressure too hard on you. You need like settle down, stop trying to like, you know what I mean? Like compensate for this. Like you need to settle down on box. And he couldn't. And you saw like slowly and slowly and slowly Taylor started just breaking down before the inevitable end. Yeah, dude. You know, it's it's just the it's like you said, the way that uh Taylor goes from just, you know, looking pretty good and looking okay to all of a sudden just not looking okay is pretty amazing. Um, and the way that that unfolds is it's it's got it's a fight with a lot of replay value. Absolutely no question. And and because of that controversial ending, like we were talking about, I think that that's one of the big, big reasons. Like, the, I mean, there's so many explanations and excuses and stuff like that when people talk about that fight. And they're talking about why that fight ended the way that it did, and whether or not that fight was okay ending the way that it did and stuff like that. And like I said, people are still split now. They can't come to any consensus. Um, I think that if I had to kind of, you know, take a vote or something like that, people more often than not would probably say that Taylor kind of got screwed in that fight, or at the very least, they felt bad for him. Um, as far as the rest, I mean, it's, it's really split down the middle. So of course they had to do a rematch. You can't, you know, you can't 
have that uh, an ending like that in a fight and then a fight that magnitude it, and on fighters on that level. It just took a while for it to happen, man. And by that time, Taylor yeah, was long. already cooked. You know, like he he fought Aaron Davis immediately afterwards. He won the he won the welterweight championship, but like he you could see like the signs of like regression on him already. You know, and by the time he was knocked up out of Cristiano Espana, he was that was it. And yeah, I was a I was um, a novice fan when I watched it live when he fought um Chavez in the rematch, but he still put up a very competitive fight. You know what I mean? I you could think see flashes of, you know, you could. of the you first could. fight. Yeah. And the fight was still like two or three points, you know, all together, like with it. But like, he just, you know, it just never, yeah. Nah, he couldn't, he couldn't get that momentum going like he had in the first fight. And so it was, that was pretty tough. It was just like, to... you know, man, nah, it, it was like, you know, Chavez just running around and putting a name on his ledger. And it's too sad and because Taylor. You can't take a but, beating like that in a vacuum, you know, and like it, it adds up. If, Taylor, if the if everything really happened right in the first fight, Taylor would have won that decision. First of all, he got up. He got up. And if you look ever so closely, I mean, it's really hard to decipher, but if you look ever so closely when Steele talks to him, you see it ever so slightly. You see him nod his head saying, yes. It is, you got to pay attention, but you do see it. Like, yes, he's paying attention. And this was, you know, the cornerman's fault on their part for doing this, for getting his attention. Like, he's watching them. But when Steele says you okay, you okay, ever so slightly you see Taylor go like slightly, like, like slightly nod his head. And yeah. it's a championship fight, it's a unification fight. You should just let it go on. And if he turned around and saw Chavez literally right behind him, he would have done something like um in the uh fucking Lembrado Andrade fight against uh Lucian Butte. Yeah, get yeah. back, get back, get back. Marlon B. Right, get back. Because Chavez was breaking the rules. At least he should point. have, yeah. Because Chavez was literally right behind Steele at that point, ready to pounce. You know, like kind of Dempsey against Tony almost. You know, like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, one. dude. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, the debate could literally rage on forever. You it's know, gonna like be, it's, We're coming up close. Uh, it's 32 years. Next year, we'll make 33 years. Like, yeah, so... Yeah, the, the debate rages on. It's never oh. settled. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. You know, and... Uh, well... I guess there's not really too much debate about it anymore. And they seem to be kind of friends, but frenemies on and off friends. But the next one I was going to talk about uh, was, I mean, easy one to talk about. And on top of that, two fights between them, one fight of the year, going back to the fight of the year, just because it's easy. Um, mm -hmm. And there aren't that many cases of that happening. There's only a handful because for this specific reason that we're talking about on the show usually the rematch does not live up to the hype of the first fight or doesn't quite live up to the first fight and no. that is eric morales and marco antonio Good one. i was gonna bring that up too awesome. okay well yep. sorry i stole it from no 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 you didn't steal anything that's just, i'm glad we just bring it up in general yeah you know for a long ass time i've looked for the specific instances that started this like, you know, I'm in there. It might just be that I've looked in the wrong place, but I know for, for years, people have said more or less what, uh, what started their feud and what the comments were. Supposedly Marco Antonio Barrera made the comments to some paper or magazine or something that Eric Morales was just an ignorant Indian, which is obviously now. And then very derogatory and 
classist and awful. And, but, uh, and and I'm not saying that what Morales responded with was equal, but that he responded something to the effect of that Barrera, I I think he actually might've responded a homophobic slur, but that he basically responded to the effect of, look, Barrera's, Barrera's family is, if I'm not mistaken, his family makes movie sets in Mexico, in Mexico City. And so they're not. I know like well- more well off than Morales. Yeah. Yeah. So they're not like wealthy, but he comes from like a fairly you know like middle class family or whatever, totally. and that is a source of tension. You know, not only in Mexico but all over the fucking world. And so supposedly that's where everything started, and then leading up into their first fight, you know, it it made sense. Like it it made sense i guess that they would be kind of at each other as far as like the landscape of the division but also this was like again everybody thought that marco antonio barrera was done you know like he's he had like several career resurgences and shit and they thought that he was basically done you know junior jones a big debacle etc and then he goes in with mark or uh, with eric morales who is this up-and-coming destroyer and a lot of people felt like this was the bad, a bad opponent for Barrera and the bad time for him. And I mean, it luckily they locked horns and it wound up being just perfect. Dude, that first fight was incredible, man. Like a lot of people, like you just alluded to, like a lot of people thought after the Junior Jones fights everything that like Barrera was kind of, you know, that might have been it. Like he had reached his ceiling, like we mentioned with Cambosis. Um, we talked about with Cambosis on a before um it didn't happen to be the case man you know morales was riding really high at that point he had knocked out junior jones he knocked out more um he finished the career of uh, daniel Zaragoza. like he was looked upon as being close to the man of that division was wayne mccullough before him or after oh that's a good question i think Ooh, before i think it might have been a fight before it was before yeah yeah it was and um, so, you know, Morales had, like, established himself. Like you mentioned, Barrera, he, he got based – forget about the DQ. He got stopped by Junior Jones. Junior Jones stopped him, you know, um, bludgeoned him with right hands, and that was stopped. Uh, the rematch, Mara, um, Barrera performed better but still, you know, lost a close decision. Um, so, yeah, you know, by the time 2000 comes around and Morales, who was young when he first won his, the WBO title – and it was still like growing and developing as he stopped Daniel Zaragoza, make his subsequent defenses up until the Zenith now against, Bar- you know, Barrera. He was looked upon, he still hadn't reached his prime, but he was like really, really close to him. He's on the upswing and won the pound, you know, looked upon as a pound for pound great. Barrera, the consensus, most people are looking at him. Um, he wasn't washed, but they thought that Morales would have been, you know, a guy that just would have beat him to keep on solidifying where he was at, you know? Barrera had already, you know, the, the two losses that he lost to Junior Jones. Yeah, the, it looked like so, two guys going in different directions. It, totally, totally. That's how I looked at it. That's how it was presented. That's how I even thought about it a little bit. And it totally wasn't one that, man. Like, the back and forth, both guys were hurt. They hurt each other. They cut each other. It was a bru- one of the best fights of the 2000s, if not the absolute best fight. If Corrales-Castillo one didn't happen, that probably would have won the award for best fight of the 2000s. It's so rare that you see fighters on that level mm-hmm. doing that shit where they just go like this and just like both of them at the same time just 
dude you know like and it's like they just don't move their head they don't give a fuck and they're just like i'm punching you're pu- just just fucking go like, dude, and like it doesn't happen that often take each one of them shits you know what i'm saying like they could take their power that was what's beautiful about it like they hurt each other but neither one like really went down they were both marked up and yeah, they it, couldn't quite get the edge on the other like it was just like it was yeah so man every time morale like morales looked like he was starting to like roll barrera would come right back and anytime barrera looked like he was rolling morales fight back at the end of the fight i thought barrera slightly edged it by the yeah, slimmest of i think margin. a lot of people felt like that yeah yeah when morales won you know i wasn't mad but i was like you know i thought barrera won it and the second fight, which happened in uh, 2002, correct? Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yes. That 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 you know, kind of like um, Ward Gotti. That was like the the slow one of the of the series. Yeah, I I actually quite enjoy that fight. I know a lot of people don't, especially compared to the first fight. Like it's it's yeah. cool. I get it. You know, it's definitely not in the barn burner. The first fight was, and no, uh, and it was it was still a compelling fight. And you know, they had a lot of heat with each other, but compared to how the first fight was and the flurries and the action and the hatred and the, uh, the violence, this one was much, much more convent, kind of condensed and that favorite Morales. And I thought that, um, you know, the, the rematch, it was kind of just like, all right, well, Barrera had settled down a little bit and decided that he was going to box more in the rematch, especially mm-hmm. because like I said, he had already had this like, after the first Morales fight, and especially because he lost, some people are like, all right, well, I guess that's last chance for his ass. You know, he's out now. And so yeah. then they put him in with Nassim Hamed, and people are just like, nah, Hamed, nah, dude, Hamed's going to whoop his fucking ass. I remember that shit. A lot of people yeah, were like, dude, Hamed's going to kill him. Are you kidding well, me? Yeah, I will make a point. The fight before that, even though even though he was washed, when he fought Jesus Salud, you got to admit, Barrera, like, that's that's when he first um, employed the boxing style. I thought, like the style that no one had really seen before, when he was really pumping the jab and everything else. And I was like, I, even I thought that too. I was like, holy shit, he looked different than I had seen him. Well, and even and I so, still thought he was going to whooped against Hamed. I that's agree. Yeah, no, I agree. But even so, a lot of people were just like, yeah, I mean, Hamed's too. These hits too Agreed. hard. He's too no, no, good. totally. I thought Hamed was going to do it too. So did and I. it was like he had this uh, another, you know, extra rebirth against Hamed. Even though I will say, and I might catch flack for this, but I thought that fight on the cards was a lot closer than because pe- people are like, oh, Barrera whooped his ass, and I'm kind of well, looking at it like it's all about that last round. Remember when Barrera put him in the in the you know, in the full Nelson. The head, yeah, the and headlock then, shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then grabbed him and slammed him into the ropes, and Jim Lampley made, you know, made the comment, Allah spelled Barrera or something ridiculous. Like... It, yeah, dude, especially with, like, so we, much happened around on that a, time. We, we discussed this on our prior show. Hamad gets no love today for whatever reason. And, well, and, and there were a lot of funky comments bro. made right around that time that especially yeah. now years on watching it back and watching like the documentary about it is just like, yeah, bro, yeah, you yeah. guys were talking about this guy in a really racist way, man. Like, and anyway, but the way that Barrera was able to just, uh, well, he had the biggest moments of that fight. He won that fight. There's absolutely yeah, totally. no question. And then, so after winning that, and then he had kind of continued that style into the Morales rematch which I thought he won fairly clearly, but then that was controversial because people were like, nah, Morales made the fight. He pressed the fight. And so it was like, you know, they got to do it. A well, third let me be honest, I have not watched this since 20, 2002. I, it's been a long time, but in any case, 
uh, yeah, the, them splitting those first two fights and the way that they both look so different obviously meant at some point they were going to have to fight a third time and they still fucking hated each other. So, you know, making for a third fight, the second fight in terms of action did not live up to the first fight, but the third, the third fight, on the other hand, it didn't quite live up to the first fight in terms of intensity, but was very, very good. Well, it certainly surpassed the second fight. That's for damn no sure. No question. And, and, it, and even had the added bonus of Eric Morales' father throwing the water bottle at Pereira when he came to say, like, let's make up. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's, you know, I'm glad those two seem to be like, I, I heard they had a fall out again, but like on Reddit or something. Yeah, yeah like, it's tough to know. I don't know. I, 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 who knows, but man, but like, yeah, that's one of the rare occasions where like they really step up for that third fight and like both bring it to their full extent. But yeah. You know, I think Barrera solidified himself for winning that trilogy by, like, clearly winning that third fight. I agree. And a lot of people thought that he won the first fight. Second fight is 50-50. I, I know a lot of people thought Morales might have edged it. Yeah. But that third fight, Barrera clearly won it. And it was the fight of the year. Like, it was an incredible fight, but Barrera just got slightly got the better of it. I agree, yeah. Barrera, yeah, so yeah. they had two fights of the year. And, I mean, which yeah. is in itself rare. Totally, totally rare. You know, as um not so much what well actually you know uh i'll bring one up for you it just took years and years and years to have a rematch uh thomas Hearns and sugar ray leonard you know in a fight that and here's the thing that's interesting about that we don't have to elaborate too much on it because we've you know i think we've discussed it before and most people have probably seen it but that was a fight beforehand that most people thought was an afterthought and that leonard was trying was just trying to like you know just get another uh rematch on his record where he can blow out the competition and Hearns to his credit was able to because of the motivation of the first fight and just dying for a rematch and still you know not being as washed as everybody believed was able to produce one of the best fights of the 80s and not only that he got clearly robbed in that fight I'm a huge Tommy Hearns fan it's my favorite fighter yeah even so that first fight is, if not my favorite fight, you know, just one of my favorite. It's an fights, incredible fight, man. Like you're not going to get the type of action that you're thinking when people say it's one of the best fights of all time. And then the average boxing fan is going to think, Oh, it has to be like Ward Gotti, Ward War, you know, Ali Frazier type deal. It exactly. wasn't like that. There was, there was like four different fucking stories to this fight chapters, everything you want to say, man, it was beautiful. Yeah. The, the corner work is great. There, it has like epic, you know, it has some epic quotes, you know, that yes. you're blowing it, kid. It's got some great commentating, the moments and the fights. There's back and forth. It's at a high but skill level. It's and the it's way the they perfect... had to change their styles completely, too, you know. And it's at the and it was like at the perfect time in, in their respective careers. You know, uh, Ray Leonard had already redeemed himself uh, against Roberto Duran. Tommy Hearns was on, was coming up and seemed just like an mm -hmm. absolute wrecking machine. And these styles got together and mixed just perfectly, absolutely perfectly. And the way that, you know, uh, like you said, having to switch styles and kind of adjust throughout the fight. Ray Leonard comes in and is, and is definitely the boxer puncher type of guy, but winds up coming in as, as a, a little bit more of a puncher. But then Tommy Hearns starts trying to go after him a little bit. And Ray Leonard's like, fuck that, disengages. But then Tommy Hearns is like building up a couple points and Ray realizes he's got to go after him. And then they yeah. kind of switch a couple times even from there. And it's just like 
on that level, it's tough to beat, dude. It's really tough to beat. That it's fight. an incredible fight, man. I mean, uh, the fight happened in '81. Uh, we're talking 41 years ago now, or uh, close enough. So that fight happened in September, so we're we're talking almost 41 years ago now, and it still holds up as like all the uh, as all the fights everybody like you know want to compare it to. Is it Leonard Hurts? Is it Leonard Hurts? Is it Leonard Hurts? Uh, you know, with that being said, the rematch almost gets overshadowed to a to a degree. You don't hear many people talking about it as much. It was a good fight. It was a hell of a good fight. You know, like even Leonard today, really, Tommy's still pissed. As he should be. That's the one fight Sugar Ray Leonard will admit that he lost. You know, which, besides which, the which is really out, saying something. Yeah. Besides the Terry Norris and Camacho fights, that's the one fight Sugar Ray Leonard will say, "Yeah, I lost that fight." And yeah, he that's, didn't. That's that really fight. saying something too. No, he's, totally. he's got a hell of an ego about that shit. Like, not to say it was a blowout. Leonard had a lot of moments, and he came close to stopping Hearns at the end of the fight. But Hearns dropped him twice. Um, and can you know I'll box him for the majority of it. It is what it is. But it was a really compelling fight and a tough fight for Herms. You know, obviously still feeling a lot of salty from '81, just compelled himself to really bring it. You know, a lot of those guys will do that to bring themselves to another level. And yeah, you know, and he had to kind of will himself through the end of the fight yeah, too. He did. He really did because he was in deep shit at that point. Oh man, yeah, that's a that's a good one. It's sad especially for me as a Hearns fan, but, but still though, it's part Hearns of what deserve that win, man. And, and yeah. like people say, Oh yeah, you know, the four Kings and Hearns probably at the bottom. No, you listen, fight, name me one guy, someone <laughs> name me one fight of the outbox, Tommy Hearns. That's, but that's what I'm saying is that I know now you're gonna get me into fanboy mode, but I know people are talking <laughs> about Tommy's right hand and they should, because that's a hell of a right hand. Great left hook too, by the way, but, he was an incredible boxer, dude. He was a really, really incredible Off boxer. Off his jab, right hand, those body shots that he would throw like a whip, everything, man. Tommy Hearns was incredible to watch. Yeah, incredible boxer. Easily yeah. my favorite, dude. Um, actually, that's going to be about all we have time for, believe it or not. But, I mean, we jammed some good fights in there. Oh, no, no we definitely did. And there's other ones, too, that you could have brought up, man. There's a whole Zale and Graziano. Oh, Zale, yeah. Real Graziano. First two fights, all-time greats. The third fight, a putt. Um, we we alluded to Ward Gotti. First fight was incredible. Second fight was kind of a dud. Oh, I mean, not that wasn't a dud, but compared to the first and third fights, it was. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, we mentioned in one of our uh, recent podcasts the um, the fights between um, Jeff Harding and Dennis Andres. And also, too, you want to go uh, back a little bit, the, the longer way to rematch between Joe Lewis and Billy Kahn that took way too many years and both guys were past it. That's a good so, point. Like, yeah, well, and yeah. like the, the whole fight of the year thing gets gets funky. because It, it like, gets funky and all that, but I'm just talking about different rematches. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and, and the whole concept of the fight of the year, uh, you know, they came up with it in the 40s officially, but there were awards for fight of the year before that. But totally. anyway. Oh, yeah, 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 totally. You know, I dude, I appreciate you coming on to talk some more history with me, man. It's always a great fucking time, dude. Oh man, this was great, bro. We're always just rolling and listen. If anyone, um, you know, for the Hall of Fame's coming up this weekend, if anyone's, you know, wants to, anyone, any listeners of the show or anything like that, I'm gonna be out there. Unfortunately, Pat can't join me, but um, if you see me, I'm gonna be the guy wearing a 40 year old T-shirt and having a lot of tats. You can't miss me. Yeah, dude, you should be you should be pretty easy to see. You know, you yeah, yeah, you, you can't miss. I'm the one with the sunny list and tattoos, some other stuff around there, and I'll probably be wearing a 
Durano Benitez shirt or something like that. You're going to be the one just absolutely flocked with knuckles and gloves fans. No question. <laughs> Hopefully so. <laughs> hey, dude, I appreciate it. And everybody who listened in on the podcast, we appreciate you. If you wouldn't mind subscribing, also appreciate it. Rate us, give us a comment. We love that stuff. If you watched on YouTube, also subscribe, comment, all that thing. You know, we love those things. We're on social media. Knuckles and Gloves is on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Twitter, too. But we're also individually on Twitter. My buddy Eris is on Twitter as PunchZoneEris. Me, Patrick Connor. I'm on there as Patrick M. Connor. Interact. We'll talk to you soon, Eris. I'll talk to you soon, bro. I mean, enjoy, everybody. Yeah, have fun at Hall of Fame, too, man. Yes, sir. Later, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.